When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can always find us over on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout Group. This is episode 139 of the show, and we just want to give a great big hug and squeeze and a huge thank you to all of our super awesome listener supporters. We are so thankful for every single one of you. And if you're listening and you want more information about how you can also become a superstar, supporter of the podcast in 2018, the best thing you can do is go over to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. Over there, we have all of the information that you need. We occasionally drop new episodes into our private podcast feed over there. In fact, you know, this month, Rebecca and I shared some of our most embarrassing confessions on the show. Believe it or not, we actually had a few more that didn't make the cut for (laughs) (laughs) for that episode. Not for public consumption. Totally not for public consumption, also not safe for listening to at work for around little ears. That episode is over in our private podcast feed for our supporters of the show. And not only do you get that, but you get access to every exclusive episode we've ever created for our supporters, along with access to our exclusive Facebook group. It's just for our supporters. So again, all of those details are over at sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. Okay, well, like I said, this is episode 139 of the show, and this is going to be a big update and a kind of a circle back to a show that Kelly and I, Kelly is here with me today, my lovely co-host Kelly Gordon. Hello, Hello. Kelly. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Meg. Hi, Awesomes. Around this time last year, almost a year ago, last April, Kelly and I released an episode and we called it episode 96, Spiritual Crisis, The Thing That Rattled Our Faith. And that was an episode where we really went through and talked about our own spiritual journeys, especially through Christianity, what our spiritual backgrounds looked like as we were growing up, and kind of where we were in that moment in time. Shared that with you all. Had lots of great discussion with lots of awesomes after that episode dropped last spring. So here we are again, and we thought it would be a great time to offer some follow-ups. We have follow-up thoughts, believe it or not, lots of them. (laughs) 
So we thought we'd come back and talk a little bit more about our spiritual journey, some things that have changed significantly and some things that are still the same. So we are going to get to that whole conversation here in just a few minutes. Well, let's go ahead first, Kelly, and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's that moment in the show where we share about the books, the movies, the TV, podcasts, whatever it is that's making our life a little bit more awesome this week. Kelly, I can't wait to hear what you brought this week. Oh, I'm so excited about this awesome because it's one of those things that has been in my life. I think the awesomes all understand this, that it hits you one day. This is an awesome of the week. Oh, yeah. This is that big of a deal. It brings that much richness and joy and wonderfulness to my life. So it is Emily McDowell Studios. Are you familiar with Emily McDowell? Oh my gosh. I love Emily McDowell. She's amazing. She is totally awesome. I was going to be shocked if you weren't familiar with her. And I think a lot of awesomes listening right now are nodding their heads and smiling because Emily McDowell has that kind of an effect. So if you are unfamiliar, Emily McDowell Studios or just emilymcdowell.com, she makes greeting cards and the tagline is, for the relationships we really have. (laughs) Totally true. Very accurate. Okay. So that's actually even how it started for her is she wanted to make a Valentine's Day card. And it's kind of this Valentine's Day card that says, hey, it's Valentine's Day. I wanted to get you a card. And yet this seems weird. And there's not even a heart on it. Don't worry. And she kind of made this because she's an artist. And it went out there to the internet and like it instantly sold out. And there were all these people. And she said, wow, it seems like there's people out there who want cards that address their actual relationships instead of the relationship that maybe we all want to be having, which is what it seems like maybe Hallmark and other cards are addressing, right? That's what I was going to say. Like the relationships that card studios seem to think we're all having. So yeah, hers is a much more realistic Right. Or even we want to believe that we're having it. You know, we read it and we're like, no, that's exactly how I feel about my mom, right? Like, I don't want to admit any of the other things. Like, it's all good. So anyway, The backstory for me, the reason this is my awesome of the week is that I love greeting cards. I always have. Back in the day before I had kids, one of my favorite ways to spend an afternoon was to go to Hallmark and to just camp out. Literally, I would sit in the aisle and read greeting cards. My favorite greeting cards have always been the funny ones. Yep. I've done the same thing. Just sit and kill time at a card store. And laugh like with myself. This was before there were phones, of course. I couldn't take a picture and send it to somebody. Right. It's just your own little... (laughs) It was like my two hours of joy. Right, exactly. And so I would buy all these cards. Of course, some of them are for holidays or for birthdays that I know are coming up. But a lot of them were just to send to friends to make them smile because it reminded me of them or because I knew something was going to be happening or just even collection of cards to have for moments that I figured I might need them. So that's exactly what Emily McDowell specializes in. So I'm going to read you guys a few of her cards. Her cards are very graphical in text. So she is a hand lettering artist is what she specializes in. So there are some pictures, but for the most part, it's just going to be the text on the front of the card. So here are a few of her like bestsellers and her new stuff. It says, thinking about you is like remembering I have ice cream in the freezer. Okay. So you send that to a friend. It makes their day, right? Yes. Here's a birthday card. Happy birthday to a brilliant, generous, kind, and lovely person. And then it says in smaller print, how would you feel about running for president? <laughs> or this Perfect. one, I thought this was funny too. It's another birthday card. With any luck, someday we'll all be old people who sign our texts. <laughs> do you have anybody in your life who does that? No. No, I don't either. I often do sign off on my like Facebook messages <laughs> with my name. Like yes. totally unnecessary, but I do it anyway. Right. I start my text sometimes with, this is Kelly, because I think, do they have, what if they don't have my number? <laughs> 
And then I'm sure if I'm doing it to somebody who's much younger than me, they're like, yeah, I know, idiot. It's okay. (laughs) Old lady, old lady. I'm trying to get with the world today. Okay, here's another one. Today's fantasy self-help seminar, conquering depression with inspirational quotes. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. I like this one too. You're the only one for me. And then it says in small print, thank God, I'm too tired to learn a new app. I really, I want to steal this one to put on my Facebook birthday greetings. I'm trying to do a really good job this year at just keeping up with all those birthdays on Facebook. I will say that for the last five years, I would just get overwhelmed and wish no one a happy birthday ever. So this year, I'm just like, girl, it takes five seconds. So here's one you could type. Happy birthday. May all your dreams come true this year, except the ones where you're naked at work. Perfect. Yes. But I would say that Emily McDowell probably is best known just not for her regular greeting cards, as wonderful and as funny as those are, but it's especially for her empathy cards. She had cancer probably 20-ish years ago now, breast cancer. And she said that at that point, she wasn't even in the card business, but she noticed, as I think many people do who get a serious illness, that people either don't know what to say or they say all kinds of weird, wrong things. (laughs) Or like she said, I got a lot of get well cards. And I thought, yeah, I'll try, you know, like. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, that sort of thing. And then several years later, she had a friend actually get cancer. After she was already in remission, her friend got cancer and died. And so it really brought her back to that place of saying, well, people want to say the right things. People want to be supportive, but they don't know what to say. So her empathy cards, it actually says what to say when you don't know what to say. So here are a few of her empathy cards. How about this? The next non-doctor who thinks they can cure you gets smothered with kale. (laughs) Good. I promise never to refer to your illness as a journey unless someone takes you on a cruise. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could take away your pain or at least take away the people who compare it to the time their hamster died. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And yeah. then there's a lot that are just sincere. You know, there's no good card for this. I'm so mm. sorry. Please let me be the first person to punch the next person who tells you everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry you're going through this. So she's so good at taking all of these moments in life when we say, I don't think Hallmark has an actual card for either what I want to say or what needs to be said. And making a card for it. I will say, for any awesomes that might go there, none of the ones that I just read had any language in them because I don't want to make this an R-rated podcast. But her cards are known for having the occasional F-bomb, other words that are very real because she's dealing with very real life circumstances. So if that's going to offend you, it's probably not going to be for you. If it doesn't offend you, you will love her. So emilymcdowell.com is where you'll find it. And of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. That's right. Okay. Love that. Awesome. Well, my awesome of the week has been a long time coming and turning 40 really just made me so aware that this was something I needed in my life. Kelly, I just got brand new reading glasses. Oh, yes. Uh Uh-huh. I got them from Warby Parker. I completely succumbed to the social media campaign that is Warby Parker. (laughs) (laughs) They're in my Instagram feed every day as a sponsored post. I guess I'm at that age too. But here's the thing. I didn't really know that Warby Parker did reading glasses. I thought they were mostly for actual prescription lenses. Well, okay. So minor prescription. They are. Here's okay. what happened. So like about, I've had prescription need for glasses since I was in high school, but I'm a terrible glasses wearer and I didn't ever need them bad enough to, for me to like push past my terror at the idea of contacts. I have eyeball yeah. weirdness issues. No, I do too. If I told you the story about how if I, something touches my eye, I pass yes. out. I have that vasovascular thing. Yeah. So whenever they do the 
Oh, what is it that they're checking for? Glaucoma? The Yes. Glaucoma. Glaucoma, yes. Where they touch your eyeball, they have to numb you, and then they touch you. They do that, and I'm like, just so you know, I might like fall right <laughs> off the chair. Literally faint. So, Be prepared. Can you picture me putting in contacts? <laughs> like, oh, just it's touching my eye. And it would be bad. So yes, yes this, we share the eyeball weirdness. Yes, exactly the same amount of terror about that. So, you know, I'm a bad, I'm a lazy glasses wearer. About five years ago when the twins were baby babies, is the last time I'd been to the eye doctor, I got some glasses, just like regular prescription glasses. Little baby Mac was probably six or seven months old, got a hold of them and broke them. It was so hard to be mad at him because you guys, Mac, one of our twins is the happiest human who has ever existed. He's just so happy about everything. He even was when he was a baby, still is as a five-year-old. But he's also very like handsy. He likes to grab things and mess things up, break them, take things apart. Maybe he'll be a great engineer someday. (laughs) Right. But he broke those glasses. I never replaced them. It's been years. But last year, around the time I turned 40, I started realizing, Kelly, that everything I was reading, I was holding way out Got to hold it out so I could read it. I was handing things off to my children to read labels to me. (laughs) Oh, oh, totally. Totally. I'll say, what does that say? And they look at me like, what? Why can't you read that? Exactly. Old eyes, children, old Old eyes. eyes. So I finally took myself back to the doctor because it was getting to the point where I was like, I just feel like I can't read anything anymore. Not only my phone, but books. And so I went in. Sure enough, he first, you know, he did the whole exam. He first wrote me a prescription for bifocals. and being the prideful creature Ouch. that I am, I was like, could you split this out so that I could have, you know, like up close prescription and my distance prescription. So he did do that. So I went ahead and got some classes. I knew that I was going to order them from somewhere. And again, the social media for Warby Parker is great. I also listened to the episode of How I Built This with Guy Raz. Mm. Mm-hmm. From the founders of Warby Parker, I thought their story was fascinating. And I was like, I'm just going to try to love the whole idea that they send you. You can pick out some frames to try on at home. Right. So I did the whole thing, did the try on box, had my family weigh in on which pair seemed best and ended up with, I think maybe the, almost like the exact pair that you're wearing, Kelly, (laughs) they're tortoise shell. (laughs) They're kind of rectangular. Do these look like they might be? (laughs) Yes. Yes, they do. We're we're glasses twins now. (laughs) We're glass twins. Yes. But I think this is a pretty common shape and it looks really nice on well, you. Thank you. Like this kind of rectangular yes. a little bit, that yes. it's not quite, you know, round. Right. right. So I'm gonna, I'll am gonna put a picture on social media and in the show notes so mm-hmm. you all can see my new glasses, but they're kind of changing my life. They're the awesome of the week for sure. Maybe the awesome of the next decade, who knows, because now I can <laughs> read again without squinting and I can actually see letters on the page and on my screen. So All right. Well, you know that we like to share our awesomes of the week every week on the show, but over in our Sort of Awesome Hangout group on Facebook, we open up the floor every single Friday for you awesomes to share with us what's awesome in your life. So if you haven't already, please do come find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Sort of Awesome Hangout. Awesomes, I was visiting a friend last week in her lovely new home, and we talked about how you know you're a grown-up when you finally stop using tension rods for every curtain in your home and actually install real hardware for real window treatments. It's definitely a sign that you are adulting well when the first thing people notice when they walk into a room in your home is the decor for the windows. That's why I'm so happy that this episode of Sorta Awesome is sponsored by Smith & Noble. If springtime has you itching to freshen up your 
home, Smith & Noble can help give you an instant makeover in any room. Smith & Noble will help you create a space that you'll love spending time in with their extensive collection of high-quality handcrafted blinds, shades, drapes, and shutters. And Smith & Noble can help you in every step along the way. They offer free design consultations in your home or by phone. They send out a Smith & Noble expert for free measuring services. You can also get professional installation that is guaranteed for a perfect fit, or Smith & Noble will make it right for you at no extra cost. So great news, awesome. Smith & Noble has a limited time special offer just for you. Get 25% off of Smith & Noble window treatments when you go to smithandnoble.com slash Awesome. Go ahead and get started on that spring house project today when you go to smithandnoble.com slash awesome for 25% off. That's smithandnoble.com slash awesome. Thank you, Smith and Noble. Awesomes, you know how much we love our comfy dresses and flirty skirts around here. And with the summer season just around the corner, it's the perfect time to check out ModCloth's newest collection. This episode of Sorta Awesome is sponsored by ModCloth, the company that specializes in fashion at any size. If you're looking for the perfect fit, you'll love that ModCloth's signature label comes in a full-size range from extra extra small to 4X, and you'll discover that they have every dress style under the sun from chic shifts to must-have maxis. And awesomely enough, they also carry swimsuits and even though I've browsed Mod Cloth for years, I didn't know that they now have everything you need for wedding season in the Mod Cloth bridal section. I love Mod Cloth's newest dress collection so much that I actually bought my Easter dress there. It's a floral chiffon maxi dress that is even dreamier in person than it was on their site. And before you can even ask, yes, you can find dresses and skirts with pockets at Mod Cloth too. Mod Cloth has a special offer for the awesomes for 15% off of your purchase of $100 or more. Go to Mod Modcloth, that's M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com slash awesome and enter promo code awesome at checkout. But hurry, this offer expires April 21st of 2018. So that's modcloth.com slash awesome and promo code awesome at checkout for 15% off of $100 or more before April 21st. Thank you, Modcloth. Okay, well, like I said at the top of the show this week, we are bringing you a revisit, a circle back, an update, all of those things to our episode from a year ago where we discussed the things that we really loved about the Christian faith and some of the things that just were very difficult and sometimes very painful for us. So we're here to give you an update. I'm going to go first with my update. <laughs> it's a big it's one, a big though. One. I feel like, yeah, you should go first. Okay. I'm trying not to have a Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch moment right now. <laughs> oh, please do. And I have to say that even if I did, my enthusiasm right now would not be in any way manufactured, which we all suspect that Tom Cruise's was in that moment. True, <laughs> authentic, blissful happiness in the sense that we've had a really big change. What a difference a year makes. As you all are listening to this, if you listen to it the day it drops, my family, all six of us, we are just hours away from being received into the Roman Catholic Church. We are converting to Catholicism, a process that began last fall. We've begun months of preparation and formation classes, and all four of my heathen children who have never been baptized are going to be baptized. <laughs> As Catholics, and my husband and I, who were baptized as children in the Southern Baptist denomination that we grew up in, 
are coming into the church as candidates. So we'll be confirmed into the church. And it's all very exciting, Kelly. It's a huge pivot for our family, for sure. It's very exciting. I know the awesomes can't see me smiling at you, (laughs) but it's such a big deal. And that's why I felt like you have to go first because not only has there been a big change since last year, but it's been such a wholesome and life-giving change that I just want you to tell us all about it. So I mean, where do you start? What happened last fall? Where do we end up here? Okay, totally. That is a good question. Where do we start? (laughs) Because there's a lot to tell here. And I really wanted to share this with you all, even though, you know, spirituality and our personal faiths kind of dance in and out of conversations lots of times on this show. I just, I felt like it was super important to be really authentic and really open about this huge change for us with the awesome listening audience, because you all have been there with us through lots of these conversations. There are two really concrete ways that Sword of Awesome directly played a role in our conversion to Catholicism, which seems like that's a sentence I never thought it would say. Let's just pause (laughs) and reflect on that for a minute. But the first thing is my trip to Lebanon was really life-changing and soul-shifting for me in a lot of ways. Of course, the whole reason that I was there was to report on the Syrian refugee crisis and what it looked like in Lebanon. And the reason I got to do that was because of Sorta Awesome. And that was the main gist of why I was there, of course. But on our first day in Lebanon, we got to go up into the Bashari region of Lebanon, where there are these ancient, centuries and centuries and centuries old, Maronite Catholic hermitages and like all of these things that kind of trace the history of the Maronite branch of Catholicism. They're an Eastern Rite part of the Catholic faith. And while we were there and and touring these monasteries, one of the sites along the path there goes back to the fourth century. Like, can't even fathom how old that is. I know, especially in America. That's so hard. We're like, things are older if they're 100 years old. So to think about centuries or even almost a millennia old exactly, mind-boggling. Yes, exactly. We also went into a monastery that's just a couple of hundred years old. (laughs) And to see these, there were people, it was a holiday, it happened to be a holiday that day in Lebanon. And so people had come up to the Cedars of God, which is a big tourist attraction. The Cedar Forest, that's sort of like the last Mm -hmm. remaining Cedar Forest of Lebanon. The Cedars of Lebanon are mentioned several times in the Old Testament of the Bible. So it's a touristy thing to kind of go in and walk through the cedars and to see people from all over that part of the world, from Egypt and Greece, and not to mention from Lebanon and other countries within that part of the world who had traveled up to the cedars of God to visit these holy sites. It reignited in me, or maybe even just ignited for the first time, this longing to connect with something that is ancient and also universal. I think that over time, my framework for Christianity had gotten smaller and smaller and smaller to where it was so focused on my own personal life, what faith looks like in the context, not even as a somebody who grew up Southern Baptist and who kind of was feeling a little post-evangelical at that time in her life, but even like the context of just like, what does living out your faith look like in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? Like it had kind of shrunk down into my bubble. And to get to experience people who were so universal, like coming in and expressing their faith in these amazing ways, and to really reflect on what Christians had endured through persecution, through war. We visited lots of sites where the Crusades had taken place or like Crusader castles there. 
and to think about what Christianity has endured for the past 2,000 years was a really significant moment spiritually for me while I was there. So that was the first way that Sort of Awesome really had a dynamic impact on this part of our journey. Well, the second thing happened almost a year ago, last Mother's Day. So last Easter weekend is when you and I had released episode 96, talking about our struggles with our faith. And so just a short time after that, like a couple of weeks later, in the Sort of Awesome Hangout group, a very active awesome named Jessie Lee posted a note for me. She tagged me in a post there. Now, Kelly, I actually have already told you this story once on mic, but then (laughs) I was telling it in the context of when I sort of changed my name or I shortened my name, what started going by Meg instead of Megan, you and I recorded it, but then I cut it out because I was like, no, I'm just not really quite ready to share this story far and wide yet. I wanted to kind of hold it personally to myself a little bit longer. But so this was last May. Jessie Lee, very active, awesome in our group, said, you know, she tagged me in a post and she was like, basically, I know this is a little bit of a crazy thing to tell you, but after mass today, she's Catholic. Her priest, his name's Father Joe, who's this really, she calls him a gruff, fast-talking Italian from Manhattan, (laughs) came up to her and said, do you have someone in your life named Maggie or Mag or Meg? And she was kind of thinking about it for a second. And she was like, who do I know that goes by that name? And he said, well, I'm asking because during Eucharistic adoration the other day, that's the time when people and Catholics, anybody can go, but Catholics go into a church where the Blessed Sacrament is exposed and just sit in the presence of Jesus and pray or meditate or whatever. So he says, during Eucharistic adoration the other day, I got a very clear vision of you and another woman whose name was Maggie or Meg. You had just finished singing the Gloria and she looked teary. The Lord spoke to me and said, welcome her. Her heart is a fire, but she needs a gentle breath. Anyway, it was very clear and I thought I'd run it by you. So Jesse took that very message and gave it to me. And it was so profoundly meaningful to me because again, last Easter was the worst Easter of my whole entire life. We did not have a church family. We had nowhere to go and celebrate Easter, which is the high point of the Christian faith. And it was just such a dark time. And I was feeling so lonely and so unseen. And for this message to come via (laughs) this priest on the East Coast, via a listener, who's also a friend of mine, it was just, it felt like a light in the darkness. And I had already been toying with the idea of changing my name to shorten it to Meg, which I've wanted to go by for years. But that kind of like really solidified it for me. Like I was thinking, I don't know what this is about, but I want to live into what he saw. And especially in identifying me as I might possibly be Meg. So that was a big moment. So I kind of was holding that close in my heart When I was in Lebanon, I forgot to mention this part of the story, I picked up gifts for my kids and my husband while I was there. For my girls, I got two sets of rosary beads made from the cedars of Lebanon because I wanted something from the cedars. And I don't know why I picked rosary beads, but I did. I mean, again, we were not Catholic at the time. I've always, I've had a long time affection for and fascination with all things Catholic, but I had grabbed those beads. Well, over the summer as you know, again, still kind of it being in this dark place spiritually. I was struggling with some depression stuff, especially in the month of June was really a rough time for me. Our marriage was in a rough spot. So I would grab those rosary beads and I didn't know how to say the rosary or pray the rosary or anything. I would just grab them and just pray that God would show us the way. I just kept praying over and over, show us the way, help us to find the way. So all of that was happening. We just could not figure out what to do about a church situation. 
we finally decided after school started, we need to do something. We need to kind of get our kids back in church. We may not be super clear about where we are spiritually, but we wanted our kids to at least have the common Christian background that we had together. So we started going back to a Southern Baptist church. We hadn't been to one in years and kind of decided, well, at least we're familiar with what's going on here and and had thought, well, maybe we should try this again. Well, in the meantime, I really, you know, I still was just feeling so like, I at least I knew what to expect there, but it didn't feel like quite the right fit. I really had kind of started to feel like in my mind, like, I really am meant to be Catholic. For years, I would joke and say, I'm just a Catholic trapped in a Baptist body. <laughs> but I had really started to feel that it's so much to the point where I felt deeply uncomfortable being back in the Baptist setting because I just felt like I'm not supposed to be here. This isn't right. But for me, Catholicism has always been something very mystical and mysterious. My fascination has always focused on like the miracles and very like intangible, almost woo-woo part of the Catholic faith. I never brought it up to Kyle ever because he is not someone who would be interested in the mystical part of faith. I just never dreamed that my INTJ, Enneagram Type 5 husband, would be into any of that. Well, he started doing a research project of sorts for a client of his. This is way too long of a story to explain. I will just say this. He started doing some internet research for a client, fell down a complete rabbit trail on the internet about why the Reformation happened. <laughs> but that was, it was part of the news last year it because it was the anniversary, yes. right? So that's not that hard to believe yes. <laughs> that he would fall down that rabbit right. hole. It was at the beginning of October that this was happening. And October 31st of last year was the 500 year anniversary mm -hmm. of the Reformation. So he starts doing all of this research and just like does that INTJ thing of just like, he just like went away. Like he literally closed himself up in his office. He was doing all of this reading and he kind of like submerged himself in it. When he emerged from it, came up to breathe, he was like, I think we need to talk. And I was like, okay. And he kind of starts to tell me a little of this background and some of the reading that he'd been doing on the Reformation and the Catholic Church and church history. And he'd been reading the church fathers. And at the end, he was like, I just think we're supposed to be Catholic. And I was like, just kind of burst into tears on the spot because that is so unexpected. And it was such a beautiful reminder that I really do feel like there's lots of doors to the Catholic faith. Mine was through like this sort of mystical, mysterious, but his door, my husband's door was totally one of logic and reason. Like right. He just started digging in, especially the church fathers and their writings and kind of trying to trace the history of the church and all of it just suddenly made sense. So this was early October. We asked around and connected with a parish that's very close to our house that we love very much. And we began the process of becoming Catholic. It's so funny to us. It was like so different for us because growing up Baptist, if you wanted to join a church, you basically just walked the aisle, went down front, usually at the end of Sunday service, told the pastor you wanted to join the church. They'd ask you a few questions. You'd fill out a little registration card. If you had not been baptized, you had to make plans to be baptized. That's a key part of the Baptist approach to faith. But basically, you just kind of shook the pastor's hand, filled out a card. Everybody would come and welcome you to the church, and that was it. Then you're a member of that church. And then they kind of sort through some of the more fine print later with you after you've already become a member. And we realized right away, oh, no, like the Catholic Church, they want you to know all the fine print up front. <laughs> 
And their formation process is based on centuries and centuries of tradition of bringing people into the church. They've kind of refined the process through the years, but they really do want you to really discern for yourself over a series of months, is this going to be a good fit for you? Do you really know what you're getting into, in other words? And so we did begin that formation process right away. Our girls are old enough that they also began their own formation classes. And so, yeah, so that's what kind of brings us up to where we are now entering the church. It has been amazing in the sense that everywhere I turn, it feels like everything just kind of clicks into place. A lot of the things that I've held close as beliefs over the years, it all feels like I guess the best way to describe it, Kelly, as a parent, I talk about and think about a lot that our kids go through these ages of disequilibrium. When they're just about to go through a major growth spurt, they will be cranky. They won't sleep well. It's really noticeable in infants and toddlers, but even I think it happens again. I think there's a big phase of disequilibrium when kids are like nine or 10, right before they start to get into adolescence. I really feel like that we spent about five years <laughs> which is a long time, but about five years in a state of spiritual disequilibrium. We were definitely cranky. It was, you know, everything felt off. And I try to think about that a lot in terms of parenting because kids who don't feel right on the inside don't act right on the outside. And until they can kind of move through that growing time and then they go into equilibrium and then they are themselves again. I genuinely feel like that's the best way to describe Kyle and I's experience is that we were in an extended stage of disequilibrium once we began to learn about and internalize the teachings of the Catholic faith. It was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be in equilibrium. Everything began to feel right in an inward way, and it affected you know how we showed up for each other and other people in an external way too. So as I think about, I've thought about this for months because it has been so near to my heart to think about how to share this with our awesome community. And I've kind of gone a lot of different directions, but ultimately, as I've thought about it, there are three key aspects of becoming Catholic that have really and truly sort of, these are the biggest places, I guess you could say, where everything started to click into place. The first one would be, again, that ancient and universal nature of the Catholic Church. One of the big things, and I think I talked about this on last year's episode, I should have gone back and re-listened to it, but honestly, I was kind of like having a little PTSD where I was like, I don't know if I can revisit (laughs) because I know what a dark place I was in. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Well, I listened to it so I can tell you if you said (laughs) I'm glad you did your homework. I so am. (laughs) But one of the things that had begun to feel so painful for me was that we just could not seem to connect Like we could not fit into a community. We couldn't figure out why we were not connecting. And this component of the Catholic faith, the fact that it is so ancient and it's also so universal, it's not just about how I experience Christianity here from my home in Oklahoma City. And even though we don't hardly know a soul who's Catholic, like we've met a handful of people at our parish, but like our closest friends are not Catholic and certainly no one in our family is, there's a sense of connectedness that we experience, that I experience, and I think Kyle would say it's the same for him, in the sense of being connected to Christians throughout time and throughout space, that we can look to and read about the experiences of saints from Africa and from 
you know, Lebanon and those parts of the world from right here in our country, but who maybe lived in the last century all the way up until this century, there's a sense of togetherness that is so inherent in the Catholic faith. And I think the fact that the mass, which certainly every Catholic is obligated to go to Sunday masses, but there's also daily mass that you can go to. But that celebration of the mass is the same for every Catholic. The readings presented in the mass each week are the same, whether you're sitting in Oklahoma City or in Beirut, Lebanon, or you know wherever you are, they are going to be the same readings and you're going to have the same experience. Now, post-Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, which kind of made space for churches to have the Mass be celebrated in the common vernacular, the local vernacular of the church instead of in Latin, means that if you went to Catholic Church in South Korea, they would do Mass in Korean, but you would know still what's happening even if you didn't understand the actual language being spoken. So that universality has been so comforting to me just to know, like, no matter what it is that we're going through or praying about or thinking about right here, that we are connected through the Catholic faith to people all around this globe and all the way back to the New Testament church. And that's been huge. The second part of the Catholic faith that has been so comforting and inspiring to me is the incarnational aspect of the Catholic Church. So Catholics very much hold to a holistic view of one's interior self and their exterior self. What you experience through your spirit is also something that you can express through your body. So you not only have your interior spiritual life, which is what I grew up with, definitely. It was a lot of focus on your personal relationship, your personal prayer life, your personal devotions, things that were happening inwardly. But also there's the outward actions that you take, that this idea that we become what we do, which I've even talked about here on Sort of Awesome recently. I really do believe that. And I see it reflected so inherently in the practice of Catholicism that the actions that you take with your body, the actions that you make, the way that you move through the world is intimately and inseparably connected to what you believe on the inside. So I started recently reading Christopher West's book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. Theology of the Body is a series of talks given in the late 70s, early 80s by Pope John Paul II, talking about this very thing, the idea of the incarnational aspect of life. So he quotes this part from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is essentially a huge compendium of all the Catholic stances on everything that you can imagine. So in the Catechism, it says, as a being at once body and spirit, man expresses and perceives spiritual realities through physical signs and symbols. And so then Christopher West goes on to write, as bodily creatures, this is in a certain sense, the only way we can experience the spiritual world in and through the physical world, in and through our bodies. By taking on a body through the incarnation, God humbly meets us right here in our physical human state. So there's so many parts of Catholicism that are physical, like kneeling to pray, making the sign of the cross, praying the rosary with your rosary beads, which unites your body and your voice and your spirit. Even the act of confession, of making confession, where you're speaking out loud to a priest and confessing sins and receiving out loud from his words, absolution from those sins. It's all very tangible, I right. guess. I could have saved a lot of words, Kelly. <laughs> By no, just saying- wait. Tangible, but it's embodied, right? Yes, It's exactly. not just in here, it's out here. Yes. And I think I'll say more about this, I'm sure, but 
I think that's very beautiful and it's a wholesome way of looking at life. Yes. It's not just into your extra, you're not even splitting them. Right. You're saying they affect each other. They are one. Yes. So why not treat them that way? Yes, exactly. All right. And the third and last one is the Catholic view on the Eucharist, which I grew up as an evangelical not ever hearing the word Eucharist ever. Mm -hmm. When we took communion, we called it the Lord's Supper. It was celebrated about four times a year. It was little square crackers and grape juice. And it was a memorial to what Jesus asked his followers to do, to remember them when they were celebrating the Last Supper with him when he was here on earth. A couple of days after Kyle and I decided, okay, I think we're supposed to be Catholic. What do we do next? The first book we picked up, it's a classic book, but very well-known Catholic theologian and apologist Scott Hahn. He and his wife are converts to the Catholic faith. They had Presbyterian backgrounds. He was an up-and-coming Presbyterian pastor when they converted. And so we picked that up. And when he began to teach about how the passage in John 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, kind of known in theological circles as the bread of life discourse, when Scott Hahn read that and was preparing to teach it to a class as he was a professor at the time. He like had this really complete pivot of like, oh my gosh, everything Jesus said about (laughs) that if you want to follow after me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like he was 100% concrete serious. He did not mean it as a metaphor. And so he kind of walks you through, Scott Hahn does in that book, his new understanding of it. In that passage in John 6, that Jesus says exactly that, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And in the actual language that he was speaking, the word he used to convey that was like gnaw on, whoever gnaws on my flesh and drinks my blood. Well, this was scandalous, of course. That's crazy talk. (laughs) Right. And so they would ask him like, you don't surely mean this, do you? And he just keeps affirming, no, this is a hard saying. And yes, this is exactly what I mean. I know it's shocking, but these words I'm speaking to you are the truth. And all of his followers start to leave him because, again, it was so scandalous and so strange for him to say that. And so he turns to the disciples and says, are you all going to leave too? And Peter responds on behalf of the disciples and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And in that moment, Kelly, like I've read that passage in John 6 a million times. It follows John's telling of the feeding of the crowd with the loaves and fishes. That was a miracle. There was a few loaves and a few fishes, and it fed a crowd of thousands. Right after that is Jesus walking on water. So huge miracles that I've always believed. But somehow in my mind and in the theology I grew up in, it went from being these mystical, fantastic miracles to, well, but this part's the metaphor. This is when he gets into metaphor. (laughs) But when I read Scott Hahn's view on it, like in that moment, I was like, I don't know. It was like a veil had been lifted, like a light had been turned on. I had a completely new understanding. And when I read that, I was like, now I know, like, I have to be Catholic. In in my new understanding of the Eucharist, it all comes down to this, that they, through the process of priests being ordained in the Catholic Church, that they are able to consecrate the bread and wine and transubstantiation occurs that changes, even though the, the outer appearance of the bread and wine don't change, that the substance of it changes into 
the body and the blood of Christ. Like I was just like, I'm all in. I am completely all in. And truly all of it comes down to this new understanding. For me, it's an ancient understanding, of course, but for me, this new understanding of the Eucharist. Right. So tell me, because like ending there is a good way to say it, because as I'm thinking about you growing up Southern Baptist and spending the vast majority of your adult life in the Protestant tradition, so the Eucharist and all of those things, this is some substantial changing in your theology. So I would just, I'm curious, how do you reconcile some of these things that you used to believe with some of the things that the Catholic Church teaches? Are you even expected as you enter the church this weekend to say, yes, I 100% agree completely with everything the Catholic Church teaches. I have accepted it all and made it my own. Or is it like, how do you stand on some of these things? That is such a good question and definitely something that we have kind of been asked as we've shared this with friends and with family over the past few months. I think that in the process leading up to being confirmed into the church, I don't know that you have to like sign a pledge like I 100% agree (laughs) with every Catholic teaching. But they do take it very seriously as we get closer and closer. We had to go through interviews with our deacon as we talked through and, you know, talked through some of the stumbling blocks, you might say, or the things that were giving us pause. And so I think as we've gotten closer and closer to this moment that people have individually been deciding, you know, all of us that are, we're going through these formation classes together, we're deciding, okay, am I going to be, you know, all in on the Catholic Church? But I definitely know there is room for people to wrestle through issues as they approach them. The Catholic Church is not going to change. It's sort of been protecting and clarifying and teaching its doctrines, again, with some clarifications through the years. But I think the church also understands that people and context change and cultural context change, and that there's going to be some wrestling out of, i feel like this is the right way, but the church teaches this. How do I work through this? And I think there's plenty of space to navigate some of those things. There were a couple of issues, like some things that we had already believed and had been practicing kind of fell in line completely with the Catholic church's teaching on things. For example, I've talked about on the show several times that I haven't used birth control since our oldest was born never been a good fit for my body. And so we're very, very, very familiar with the practice of, you know, the Catholic Church does not allow for contraception. And so we have been practicing a form of natural family planning for years. We made a few adjustments in our life to kind of bring it more in line, but that was like not a problem for us. We're like, okay, fine. We've been doing this for over 13 years. (laughs) So that was one thing that was not a big adjustment. I had to kind of wrestle through some things about a male-only priesthood, even though I myself feel called to, you know, pastoring or to formal ministry in any way, I certainly have lots of friends who feel that call in a very real way in their life and have come to a place of fully accepting and believing and championing women in pastoral roles. So this was an issue where I had to like really dig in and research, like why are men the only ones who are ordained in the Catholic church? And I mean, that could be a whole episode in and of itself. But briefly, for me, I'm a simple girl from Oklahoma. So this (laughs) simple explanation that in the Catholic view that the priest stands with the congregation in persona Christi and the person of Christ, and that as we think about God in his fullness, he could have revealed himself in any way to humanity. He chose to reveal himself in the form of human man. And so that is 
the model that we have for what it would mean to stand in persona Christi with Christians, with a congregation. And so for me, I was like, well, I mean, I guess I understand that. And plus two, once I sort of was able to release my evangelical and Protestant view on what the pastoral role is, it really helped me to understand the importance of this idea of in persona Christi in the sense that growing up as evangelical, the pastor is like the main, in a lot of ways, the focus of the church. They are the ones who do the long Bible teaching each week. In a lot of times, and again, it varies by denomination, but a lot of times they kind of give the guiding vision for the church, whatever their theological view is, whatever practices are important to them, like they guide the ship fully. In the Catholic Church, the priesthood is part of a huge body of men who are serving the church in this way. And the focus of Mass is not the homily, which is the sermon, is like five to ten minutes in our parish anyway. Like if it goes longer than five minutes, people kind of start wrestling around (laughs) in the views. The focus of Mass is the celebration of the Eucharist. And so and there's lots of different lay or non-ordained groups that do the kind of the running of the church while the priest takes care of the duties like visiting the sick and those types of things. So anyway, the context is very different. So that helped me to come to a place of really accepting and understanding that. One area that I will just tell you, honestly, I'm still struggling with is the issue of same gender marriage. Marriage equality has been a long time issue for me in the sense that, again, I'm a straight woman who's been married for a long time, but I have lots of dear friends who are gay and who I would want them to have that equality in their life. And as you all may know, the Catholic Church does not view same-gender marriage as a marriage option. And it's been really tough. That is an issue that I am in the process of struggling through. I've read enough to where like, I can understand it on a logical level, but I'm not to a place where I can be like, embrace it and you know, really explain it in a positive way to people. I'm still in the midst of that struggle. So I think those are just three issues that came to mind for me in the sense that some of these things were easy to reconcile and some of them I'm still in the process and I don't know what that process will look like as we continue to walk this out. But the reconciliation process between old beliefs and new spiritual context, it's been tough. I'm glad they've given us much to work through all of this. Right. And I think it's really smart. Like you said, it's just not something that I think either of us grew up with. Right this intense education. We want you to know what we believe, why we believe it before you make your decision. It's smart, I think, to give people the time and the space, especially as adults, to wrestle through these things because you've already lived some life. You have that under your belt. And I would suspect that within the Catholic Church, like you said, there is room for you to continue to wrestle the rest of your life. You know, to say, I am uncomfortable with this. I accept it on one hand, but I have trouble really accepting it and making it my own on the other. And yet that's okay. There's grace for that. So it's not that you have to have it all together. Right. And then you can enter the Catholic church. It is saying, do you understand where we're coming from? And for you, it sounds like this is really that we probably used this analogy before, but that jar click moment, right? Exactly. Where you've been trying to get the lid on the jar and all of a sudden it clicks. And so, you know, And even looking at your countenance, (laughs) to use like an old Testament sort of word, you are glowing and I can see the peace, yes, the shalom sort of peace, the wholeness, right? Exactly. That is in you because of this big step. So it's wonderful to see. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for letting me take so many words and so many minutes to talk through this. (laughs) Goodness. I'm so glad you did. 
Awesomes, I was telling you earlier how it's been years since I've been to the eye doctor. Well, a big reason for that is I hate making phone calls. Yes, I am so phone phobic that even a silly little phone call to set an eye doctor appointment gets rolled over on my to-do list week after week. But good news, I've discovered a fantastic service to help get things done. It's magic. And yes, that's really the name. Magic's personal assistants can help you with virtually anything. Their trained assistants are available 24-7 at your beck and call. All you do is send a text message with your request and a real person gets to work right away. They can help you research and book travel arrangements or even deal with the cable company, which no one wants to do. Hire a plumber, plan a whole event from start to finish you know, schedule an eye doctor appointment for you. The options are endless. And with Magic, there's no monthly fee and no commitment. You only pay for what you use. It's a low cost per minute and you can use Magic as often as you need. And because we are all about helping you get more things done in your life, Magic is giving our awesomes a special offer. Your first request with Magic is free. But to get this offer, you have to go to our link, getmagic.com slash awesome and start crossing things off of your to-do list today. So try magic for free by going to getmagic.com slash awesome. That's getmagic.com slash awesome. Thank you, magic. Awesomes, how much time have you spent browsing Pinterest wondering if healthy food can actually be delicious? Well, with Sunbasket, the answer is yes, of course it can. Forget the protein shakes and the flavorless diet food. When you start cooking fresh, healthy meals with delicious organic produce from Sunbasket, you'll discover how delicious healthy food can be. And now you get more options than ever. Just go to the Sunbasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes. You can easily cook delicious dishes like lamb meatballs with Persian tomato rice, that one was delicious, or chipotle turkey chili with cucumber sumac salad. There are paleo, gluten-free, lean and clean, vegan, Mediterranean, which I love, family options, so much more. Sunbasket works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh and organic produce and responsibly raised meats and seafoods. And the best part is Sunbasket is delivered in perfect portions with reliable nutrition information included, and you can whip it all up in 30 minutes. To check out Sunbasket for yourself, go to sunbasket.com slash sorta today to learn more and to get $35 off of your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash sorta for $35 off. sunbasket.com slash sorta. Thank you, Sunbasket. I really, so much of what you said resonated with me. You know, I don't have a big change like entering the Catholic Church to report back on, but there's so much that you said there that resonated with me. You know, like a resonance is quite literally a vibration that goes from one key to another. And I feel like even though our spiritual paths are a little different this year, and I'll get into that just a little bit, so much of what you said, and that's the great thing about spiritual journeys, we are actually rooted in the same spot. I love that embodiment that you talked about. And even the idea of the scope of the church right. going back centuries and feeling tied into that, those have been things that have been really important to me this year as well. Although, having said that, I feel like if your path was almost to go further into the church, you know, into the trunk, the deep roots of the Christian church, in some ways, my path is pulling out of it. Say more about yeah. that for sure. Yeah. So here's what's kind of happened 
for the awesomes who listened to our show last year, for the last 12 months, what's happened with me. I did say in last year's show that I feel like what was happening then was that I had been in a cocoon for maybe five-ish years, and I was just starting to emerge from it. And so I feel like this last year has been a time for me to almost like look at my wings. Having changed from a caterpillar to a butterfly, it really does feel like it's been that fundamental of a metamorphosis in my life. So I was able to just look around and maybe test my wings a little bit and see what was happening. As a part of that, what happened was I felt around this time last year, a really distinct and sweet wooing (laughs) from the Holy Spirit to kind of walk away from the Christian subculture, all the trappings, the things that I have always done all my life, and just be with the divine presence. Instead of doing all the things that I always do, in many cases, all of them are good, you know, spiritual disciplines, I just felt this quiet, like, come out of that. Let all of that go to the side and just come and be with me. So that's what I did. In many ways, it feels like I'm like being a rebel, but it really was felt like it was a spiritual direction thing, not just a pushback. So I stopped Bible studies. I stopped quiet times, you know, prayer lists, all the things like I don't really go to any church events outside of Sunday morning, you know, as far as the normal sort of Sunday night, Wednesday night, things that you could be doing. I'm not super involved. We're not a part of a small group. So I really backed away just to be able to listen to the spirit. I felt strongly that I needed to be able to be quiet enough and not be influenced by all the things, all the voices that had grown very loud in my head, Mm. which again, not a bad thing, but I just felt like I was meant to quiet myself. Yeah. Yeah. And just listen to the spirit. And a part of that is, of course, you know, I have all this head knowledge, as we discussed on last year's show, grew up in so much of the Christian subculture that the tradition that I grew up in really, this is a maybe controversial thing to say, but this is true for me, at least, had made the Bible into an idol. The Bible is sacred, holy text. I still revere it. It has so much to teach. But, you know, in the tradition that I grew up in, we called it the Word of God. And really, The Word of God is Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, John says the Word is Jesus. It's not that book. So in many ways... What you're saying is very Catholic, Kelly. I want you to know. Well, (laughs) see, that's what I'm saying. Actually, the more I've read, and I'll say that in just a minute, but yes, it is Catholic. That's the funny thing, Meg, is that there is so much that's similar on our paths, even though we're kind of taking different, you know, our own individual unique paths. So I felt like even, and this sounds really wrong to say, but I needed to stop reading my Bible because I needed to listen to the one who wrote it, because I was so used to seeing the Bible through one lens, to seeing it as a way to reinforce my beliefs. It had almost become like a stumbling block to my growth. So I did, I backed away. I let kind of, I was trying to almost like purge, trying to get all of those evangelical trappings just to drip out of me, you know, stop listening to the sermons and reading all the traditional books, listening to the music. I just really wanted to move out of the subculture. I actually heard a quote from a I think he would call him like a theologian, that his name is Peter Rollins. Mm -hmm. He's Irish. And he said, the idea of Christianity as a belief system, as a way of thinking, as an idea of an inner life, that was kind of what I used to have. Uh It was a belief system. And I'm trying to move to the idea of Christianity as embodied in how we live. That faith is not about having a certain view of the world, but rather it's existing in a certain way within the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that was my goal. That was what I wanted to do. And I said, I need to just pull away from all of this. So simultaneously to that and not purposefully, 
I also started to subscribe to the daily meditations of Father Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. who is in himself a Catholic mm-hmm. Franciscan priest who's based out of New Mexico. I bet a lot of awesomes know who he is. So his way of looking at the world is almost unexplainably different than the way I always had grown up, even though he is a Christian, he is a Catholic, but just the way that he starts his faith was so different from anything that I was familiar with. So I thought, well, this will be good. This is not the norm for me. This is not me you know, immersing myself in what I was, but it's still something that's going to further me. And I didn't even know when I subscribed to those how pivotal and how foundational it would be for me for this year, because what Richard Rohr talks about so much is this idea of listening, of contemplation. Yes. And so he really built into me that idea. So what ended up happening is as I walked away from many of the churchy things, the evangelical American Western churchy things, I developed in my life new spiritual practices and foundational were meditation. And then kind of under that were yoga. Ah, yeah. Because really meditation is contemplation. Mm -hmm. And what it has really come to be to me is prayer. I started to see it as this is the best kind of prayer for me right now. It is not just bringing a list of things. It is really not even me using words. It is me quieting my monkey brain, quieting myself and sitting in the divine presence and knowing that love. Yeah. And yoga to me is really just meditation with my body Mm. because sometimes I can't sit still. Sometimes my brain just doesn't work unless I'm moving. We've talked about that Mm -hmm. before. It's kind of a personality thing. So yoga does the same things for me as far as that. So when I started to do that, when I started to really lean into the age old, I mean, really, this is a centuries practice sort of thing that it really is across religions, the idea of contemplation and meditation. When I started to do that, oh my goodness, I started to see God everywhere. And I started to see the joy that just started to pour out of my life and the love that I was suddenly, it was like blinders had fallen off of my eyes. And I could see that everywhere I looked. So in that sense, I feel very akin to the mystics (laughs) now, I I would say, you know, and that goes through all spiritual traditions. It's like the oneness of all things has become the most beautiful truth to me. That, you know, like Mm -hmm. that there's a godness in each person, each tree, each squirrel. This is a Richard Rohr concept, but of course, a great deep spiritual concept. When I look around the world and I see God's presence, and even in a sense that Madeline Engel certainly ties in here too, where I am right now, if I look at the way time works, meditation taps me into almost like an eternal time perspective. The idea that God is eternal, that love is eternal, that this is the basis of where we've come from and where we're going. So if I can kind of get out of my Chronos time, ah, which is like yeah. the time of the day, where I'm going, kind right. of the day-to-day stuff, and tap into the eternal. You know, I don't have to pray and say, God be with me. God is with me. <laughs> it's yeah. just me who needs to step into that yes. and the awareness of it. So when I'm doing that regularly, there's such a transformation in my life to see the beauty in the world. So it's really, this last year has changed me from worrying about so many things that I used to do. There's no striving. I feel such peace in my life and just being Mm. present. And in a way that goes back to what you were talking about, that embodiment. Yeah, I'm just embodying love instead of trying to say, what are my beliefs? How do they line up? Am I believing the right things? Am I supporting my beliefs? Things like that. So in some ways, it's like I've broken myself back down. As I said last year, I was starting to drop the things that I was certain about anyway. 
But I feel like this year I have become grounded in love and said, this is what everything needs to come out of here for the second half of my life. I need to just plant here and just soak in this for a little bit and not soak in all the things that the culture says I should be soaking in, but just really, really, really gnosko, which is a Greek word to means to know intimately the love of God. Mm. That is so beautiful. I love that. It sounds very woo-woo, really. I tried not to laugh at myself when I was saying those words because I could almost see eye rolls in my own head. (laughs) Like people going, I don't, that's really woo-woo, Kelly, but it's true. So that's really where I am is just seeing that oneness, the real, the now. Those things have become really important to me. And I don't know really where I'm going. All I know is that this is exactly where I should be. So the other thing, it's a smaller thing, but I feel like I just have to mention it because I think that probably some awesomes will probably resonate with some of these things as well. And this thing is Mm -hmm. also a putting off so that I can put on something. And it's not really a spiritual practice, but yet at the same time, you have to understand for, I think both of us, Meg, we grew up so, so steeped in this subculture. There's not a part of my life Mm -hmm. that was not built on my faith. You know, every single thing came out of that. So, you know, my worldview, my view on cereal that I ate, you know, like (laughs) just everything (laughs) came out of what does the Bible say about it sort of a thing. So this is just a way of looking at the world. What I realized was, is that I have grown up for many different reasons, and it's not just having to do with faith, but I grew up looking at the world with a very dualistic mindset. And dualism says you know, black, white, good, bad, right, evil. You're for me or you're against me. And there are times in life for sure that we need that simple breakdown. And there are scenarios that need that simple breakdown. But I think this is a Richard Rohr thing too. He says we need to move beyond that because the deeper things in life, the more true, mysterious, wonderful things in life cannot be broken down by dualism thinking. So what do you do with love? What do you do with death? What do you do with sex? These are things that really require a third way. They require us not saying it's either or, it's a both and. So death is good and bad. Love is good and bad. And it's really when I started to see what he was saying, saying, you know, if you want to continue to grow, especially in the second half of your life, we do need that dualism to at the first few stages, build things up. We need to order things to make sense. If we don't order, then we kind of get stuck there, you know, as children, as teens, as young adults. But then he says what eventually happens is our life becomes disordered, right? And so we have to reorder. And this is a part of that reorder for me is saying, wait, I need to reject that dualism as being the only way to Mm. see the world and start to say, yes, it's a part of it, but I need to build on top of it and look for that third way, that third path. And the great thing is, is that when I started to look at it that way, and again, not even just in religious things, I think even in politics. For so many of us, these last few years have been hard, not just because there's been faith shifting going on, but because it's been mixed up here in America with the political sphere. And we are so divided and polarized as a country. And so even in that, I want to say, no, I don't want to be polarized. I don't want to Mm. be dualistic and say it's either this or it's that. I want to say, is there a third way? Is there a way that we can meet in the middle? Is there compromise? Even to the extent of how do we have relationships? I mean, this is what we've been talking about on Sort of Awesome. How do we have deep, meaningful relationships with people with whom we may disagree, who look at things differently? Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I don't know how. 
dualism has not equipped yeah. me to do that. Oof. That's right? so true. That's so, so this true. is a path yeah. that really I'm just still taking tentative steps out onto, but it is a huge part of every day when I wake up, I'm thinking, I don't want to think that way. I just so naturally go to that either or against me or for me, I react to situations. And so I'm always having to step back and say, wait, wait, I don't want to react that way. I want to find the third path. And then that's for me where I have to go maybe just sit in some meditation before God and say, help me. I'm so used to reacting. I don't want to react. I want to find the wisdom Mm. and the love in the situation here to value love and relationships over being right or over having truth spoken. How do I do that? So those are the things that have really marked this last year for me, just trying to find that third path and rejecting dualism and then learning with great joy and love to sit in the presence of God. It changes everything. It really does. That is awesome. I am so glad that both of us really have been able to kind of take the time and circle back. But thank you for sharing those thoughts because I'm just sitting here just smiling and nodding. We both were. I really, in some ways, I wish we could have said that because when you were talking, I didn't want to interrupt. It was so good, but I was just grinning at you. So awesomes, I hope you know that even though we didn't speak so much maybe to each other this, we were just grinning at each other because I think there is so much resonance. You know, truth is truth. Love is love. And so we're both feeling that even though we're on slightly different paths. Yeah. The journeys are beautiful. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to share one last thing before we sign off for this week. Circling back to Jessie Lee, our awesome, who passed along this message to me from her priest, which seemed to come out of the blue. After we decided to convert, I messaged Jesse and told her that we were going to do this. And I asked, is there any way that you could get in touch with Father Joe and let him know that this has transpired, you know, all these months after he sort of had this vision and he's not even at their parish anymore, but Jesse Lee did the awesome and amazing work of tracking down Father Joe. And he said back in response, and also I love that in his response, he said that he was thinking of me as Maggie, not Meg. But Maggie, there's only one person on this planet that calls me Maggie, and that's Kyle. And he's called me that for many years. But that just was so tender and meaningful to me that this priest who's been praying for me, he said to Jesse Lee that, you know, to tell me that he had been praying for me and that he'd been praying for me as Maggie was really beautiful. So he wanted to pass on this message that was really impressed in his spirit, that he knew that I crave the timeless structure of liturgy and the oneness of the church. And he said to tell me that I will find both here in her home, the Catholic Church. And I share that to say, I think that a lot of us are craving something on a spiritual level. That's what I took away from that first episode that we did last spring, the response that came back. There are places that all of us feel a disconnect, whether we're part of the Christian tradition or the Christian faith or not. I think maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just part of the human experience to crave something at the spiritual level. And so sort of my closing prayer and benediction of this episode is that we'll recognize those cravings, that we'll keep each other company as we share those cravings with each other and that each of us would be able to find those things. I mean, the timelessness of the liturgy and the oneness of the church, that's something I've been craving for many years but it's going to be different for different people for sure. So my closing thought is that may we all just recognize that this is part of our experience here on this earth 
And I am so prayerful for each of you that you all do find the things that you are craving in the spiritual realm. So thank you guys so much for letting us share these thoughts on this, this Easter weekend, or whenever you are listening to this episode of Sorta Awesome, you know that we always love to have follow-up conversations with you and you can find us on social media. Kelly, remind us where we can find you all around the web. I'm at Kelly at Lovewell at Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay, I'm at Sorta Awesome Meg on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And we're always on Facebook over at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.